The lights are not off so that you can sleep <laughs> during this time. That is not the intent here at all. There is no intent, unfortunately. If you are gifted in, elect- in electrical, love to know it. <laughs> love to know it. We ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to continue our study of the uh, early church, the discipleship community, as they are growing and spreading throughout Jerusalem, doing what Jesus had told them to do. As we read stories like what we'll read today, it's easy for us to have a somewhat uh, embellished view of these men and women. That's why the Gospels were written to let us know that these were normal human beings. These were people who were scared. So scared in the Garden of Gethsemane, one ran out of his clothes, according to Mark. Um, They were fearful individuals, wishy-washy, prideful. And yet we read stories like we're going to read in Acts 5, and you see amazing things. And it lets us know that these are just ordinary people who've met an incredible Jesus. An extraordinary Jesus. And that's the idea of what our church is. We are ordinary people. We don't pretend to be anything other than that. Ordinary people with all the foibles and weaknesses of it. But we've met someone that is extraordinary. And the more we get to know him, the more he changes us and who we are as a community and as an individual. And that's what you see in Acts chapter 5. I came across this uh, story of James Chalmers. He was a Scottish uh, missionary uh, and was killed in 1901, born in 1860. And uh, what was amazing about it, you, you know you hear missionaries, and, and usually when you think about missionaries, you think Africa and you think cannibals. I did anyway, I don't know. Uh, that's how my view of it growing up. I'm not sure entirely where that came from, but when I read this story, I thought, well, here you go. This is, this is where this stereotype comes from by an individual, by a guy like James Chalmers. Uh, he went to uh, New Guinea, uh, and New Guinea, uh, unfortunately, was known for their cannibals. Uh, in fact, he himself was killed uh, in 1901 by cannibals. And so that kind of gives you the idea of what happened right there. Uh, him as well as another minister, Methodist minister, and several of the local believers that went with him. He went to this area called uh, Fly River in New Guinea, and there he was killed. But a little bit before that time, he wrote, or he, he spoke in a, an address uh, toward the end of his life, and he said this, Recall the 21 years given me back. Recall the 21 years. Give me back all, his, all of its experiences. Give me its shipwrecks, give me its standings in face of death, give me the surroundings of savages with spears and clubs, give it back again with spears flying about me, with the clubs knocking me to the ground, give it back and I will still be your missionary. I hear the voice of Jesus say, behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty ones, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. I thought, what a man. 
I mean, that's an amazing story. These are the things that, that kind of form our myths of missionaries. The thing is, we've got to keep in mind, they're just normal people, and he hinted on it, on what made the difference. He had an encounter with Jesus. And that made all the difference. And the story goes on. There's more to that. In, ni- in the 1940s in World War II, we had American pilots that were shot down. And one of them were, a group of them were shot down in New Guinea. These American pilots become believers through locals of New Guinea that were believers because of James Chalmers. Isn't that amazing? How God would win an American pilot. A Scottish missionary goes and dies in New Guinea. The believers of New Guinea come and they wait till his plane gets shut down and they share the gospel with him. Isn't that an amazing spread how God wants his word to be known? And so we see the beginning of this in Acts chapter 5. And the simple point of this is we see verses 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. We're, we're seeing this cycle of this growth of the church, the spread of God's power. People are coming daily to follow Jesus. And so there, there are mass events like 3,000 at Pentecost and then another event when, when God heals a lame man at the temple and 5,000 come at that time. And, and the scripture says that daily it's happening. And so now there's resistance of growing. First, it's the external one. We see the, the high priest come and call a man and say, hey, you guys got to stop. If you keep this up, it's going to get bad. And they just say, respond with God Let's pray together. Let's pray for boldness. And they do pray for boldness. And they have an experience of God's presence there where it shakes the, the building that they're in. And so they continue on. And now the attack comes within. We see this last week in Ananias and Sapphira with internally the greed and hypocrisy that can happen in a church. Happened in that church. Happens in this church. And how God addressed it. And he brought forth judgment. And it was sobering. It is a sobering story. And then we come to verse 12, and we're going to see the external resistance again. And Acts chapter 6, we see the in, internal resistance again. All this trying to stop this one simple activity. Stop talking about Jesus. Whether it's attacks from without or attacks from within, the same goal. Stop talking about Jesus. And so as we read in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through 42, we see this theme. And the theme simply is, I must speak about Jesus. And we see this in the disciples. And and just watch this as we read this together, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Uh, So let's, in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. 12 through 42. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in this temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together in the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the man whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the man aside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, Take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You may be seated. So here's this theme all throughout. We've got to talk about Jesus. And so you see in verse 12, these signs and wonders are multiplying. There's, there's amazing things going on, miraculous things going on as you read this. But you notice verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. Why? Well, what happened right before this? Ananias, Sapphira were not wholehearted in their commitment to Jesus. They were conflicted. They wanted the glory of men, and they wanted to keep money, and so they lied, and they both die at that moment. So everyone knows God did it. That's not really a, a great way to receive first-time visitors, is it? 
I mean, he thought the stand meet and greet was bad. Someone died in the service, and, and the pastor caught it before it happened. So you can understand the, uh, the little trepidation. If I join that group, I better be serious. Because if I'm not serious, bad things happen. All right? So, yeah, there's a little bit of, of fear, but nonetheless, they hold them in high esteem. There is a difference. There is a separation that has taken place among those who are believers in Jesus and the rest. There still ought to be a separation among those who are believers in Jesus and the rest. One of the things that we want to be talking about in the days ahead and praying about is what makes us a church? What, what do we covenant together to do and be that separates us from the watching world? Here, God made it evident. And so they're, they're responding. But notice as, he, as they, I, I think about this, people held them in high esteem. I got a, an email this past week, uh, I think it was maybe Thursday. I don't really know this lady. Um, but she writes this email. There's just something that caught my mind as she wrote it. She says, hello, I wasn't sure to email, but I know that Green Pines does a wonderful job with helping the needy in their community. My name is Nancy Anglin, and I'm on the board of directors for the Nightdale Dragon Pops Warner football team. Some of you may know Nancy. I, I do not know Nancy. And so she goes on and talks about the needs uh, that they have as Pop Warner football team, this group of 9 to 11, for them to go to a tournament. They're finally able to go to a tournament, and so there's a financial cost. And so basically she's just asking us, what, hey, is there anything we can do? Um, I have not promised her anything. Uh, but at, Here's what caught my attention when I bring it to you. She said, I know that Green Pines does a wonderful job with helping the needy in our church. And now she could be just flattering me. She could be just flattering our church, you know, something good to say before you ask a request. Um, But there could also be something to that. And here's why that hit me. is because about six years ago, God just put a, a, a burden in my heart. And you heard it. Are we a blessing to the community? If our church was to wipe out, just none, no longer be in existence, would anyone care that our church ceased to exist in Nightdale? And that was a burden because I, I was realizing, you know, there's not really many reasons for our church to make a difference. And, and I think God started working in hearts of several of us about that and, and how we started focusing our direction more on the love out loud and how to be a blessing to the community. And so when I read that, I thought, you know, I don't know if she's sincere or not. I don't know her. But if that is true, that she's heard that we do a wonderful job with helping the needy in our community, then I praise God. That is an answer to prayer. Regardless of whatever we do with this, that in itself, I just want to say thank you if you've heard this. That is what we want to do. That is what we want to be. But not just to have a name. We want to be a blessing to the community because we want to talk about Jesus. And we want to say this is what Jesus has done. In that same vein, uh, it was brought to my attention what's in the bulletin. Um, You see that in the bulletin? We, We do have a food pantry. Thank you, those of you who work in the food pantry. Some of you do that. Some of you do the Mills on Wheels. Uh, and so, uh, from what I understand, there's 50 folks who have signed up uh, wanting a Thanksgiving bag. Um, and we have 10 folks who have said they will provide. 
Um, and so we're either going to have to have a, a feeding of the 5,000 moment on a smaller scale, or God perhaps maybe is burdening some of you that maybe uh, we could use your help in that. Uh, so you'll see that in the bulletin as well. Uh, the, the RAs and gyms, uh, they're working on uh, delivering coats um, uh, for the children with WRL's fundraiser that they do. And so they've got a uh, thing where we can receive coats there in the hallway. And I just appreciate so much those in our church that say, you know, this is what the gospel means. Let's show this, not as an end of it, because you understand, being just healing people is good, but it's to the point of the gospel. It is a sign of the power of the gospel when we are impacting the community. So you see how it works in Acts. Now, I would say that there is some unique things done with the apostles, all right? There's some things done that we don't see done here today. For several reasons, least of, uh, of which is that this is no longer, uh, not least of which is that this is no longer a pioneer area. Uh, this area has been impacted by the gospel in various ways. But I think if you do go some other places around the world, you'll see some of these stuff uh, where God will do amazing things to show the power of the gospel. And so as we read this, all this is bringing out this idea of God's working. And so understand, we must speak about Jesus because he is our greatest hero. And we're going to see as they go about this, what they say about Jesus. Why are we doing this? But you see some incredible things there where Peter's walking and just the shadow crosses someone and someone's healed. Now, uh, that's amazing. They believed in that society that there was power in shadows. In fact, you did not want to be crossed by uh, a shadow of an ominous figure. Now, God doesn't teach that. It doesn't, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Peter believed that. God was just working through ways that they understood to say, listen to this guy. He's got the words of life. And if you doubt it, to see how the power works. All right? We're going to talk about in, in that in just a little bit. But eventually, everybody gets mad about this, uh, the, the Sadducees and the high priests. Now, here's what you need to remember about Sadducees. We talked about this before. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angelic beings. Uh, they don't believe in the supernatural things that you see in the Bible because they, uh, well, you know, that's just not educated enough for them. All right? This is not, some of you recognize that thought, that teaching. That's not a, a new thing. That was going on in Jesus' day. And so the Sadducees were the ones that did not believe in the supernatural things. How ironic is it that they tried to get the apostles together and subdue them because all this power is going on. And who does God send to deliver them? An angel. You know, it just strikes me. It doesn't really matter sometimes if you don't believe in God. It doesn't stop God from working. <laughs> Here the Sadducees saying, well, we don't believe in angels. You know, We don't believe in angels. And supernatural things like that. We don't believe in the resurrection. And yet, right in front of them, happening them, is this, is this scene or this incident done by an angel. How can they explain it? And they're stuck. It doesn't really matter whether they believed or not. God still worked through angels. God still resurrected Jesus from the dead. And so here they are just responding to this. And, and so uh, they've got these guys in a public jail in prison. Uh, the apostles are there. It's not just Peter and John now. It's the apostles there. And they say, hey, guys, you guys got to stop. And instead of them being quieted, the angel sends them out. 
and sends them back to the temple at daybreak, early in the morning. It says, keep on doing what you've been doing. Keep on talking. Keep on teaching about Jesus. Now, they bring them back in and say, well, okay, that didn't work. What are we going to do? And so this is where I want you to notice what Peter is saying. How he responds. They say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You tend to bring this man's blood upon us. I'm thinking, yeah, that's pretty much the case. They want them to know the blood of Jesus. Uh, And then, notice how Peter responds in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. Obey God in what? And telling others about Jesus. You told us to stop. We can't stop. God's told us to tell others about Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. That word leader and savior is kind of interesting. It's used a few times. But here's the different translations of that word leader. Sometimes we see in Hebrews chapter 12 and Hebrews 2, that same word is captain or author or pioneer. Prince is another place. Someone who is a prince, who is an author, who is a captain, who is a pioneer, this term that they use for him, the real understanding of this word is Jesus is our hero. He is our our savior. God has made him our hero and he is given to give repentance and forgiveness to Israel and we are witnesses to these things that he is God's hero you see Peter James John all these guys are just normal people we've seen it they mess up but they had an encounter with a hero our society doesn't make heroes anymore you know why Because our society says it's no longer right for us to subject our heart's voice to some external rule. You do everything your heart tells you to do. And if you don't do what your heart tells you to do, then you're you're being wrong. Follow your heart. But the virtue of a hero says, despite what my heart says, despite the pain, there is right and there's wrong. And I'm going to do what's right despite what my heart says. Our society doesn't make people like that anymore. Because society teaches that you're to follow your heart without ever thinking, does your heart lie? So our society doesn't do that anymore. But here Jesus is, our hero, who says, this is what God has called us to do, called me to do. I will lay down my life for the forgiveness and salvation of the people. And, and Peter and James and John and all the others, Andrews and Simon, they are besotten by Jesus. Here's what I want to bring to our attention. What is it that keeps us from talking about Jesus? What are the obstacles, the fear points in our mind, in our heart, that keeps us from talking about Jesus? And what I want to challenge you with is this. Let's pray together that Jesus will be stronger in your heart than the fear that's there. Can Jesus be stronger in your heart than the fear that is there? To know more about Jesus. You know, one of the things that that Peter prayed, or that Paul prayed for all uh, the letters that you see, 
He doesn't pray that, that, uh, that just rulers will come and go and that, that there would be people that are open to the gospel. He doesn't pray that folks will get out of sickness. Uh, he prays, and no matter what circumstances folks are in, he doesn't pray for riches. He prays that they would know the power of Jesus Christ. He would pray that their inner man is strengthened with the Spirit of God. They will pray as the choir sung, how high, how deep, how great is the love of Jesus. Why did Paul pray that because if you have an experience with jesus christ then it doesn't really matter what the circumstances are it's greater than the fear and the obstacles that's given to you from without let's pray that we would be in the vein of peter and james and john where they would say we've been witnesses that jesus is god's hero Are you a witness? In other words, a witness isn't just something you know, but it's something you've experienced. Have you experienced that God, through Jesus, is your hero? Let's pray for that. Not just to know with your head, but to know with your heart that he is the hero of all time. And so, here they are, and they're they're sharing that. Now, there's there's a couple observations that I want to bring to you. We speak about Christ, our great hero, and here's how we can do this. Some observations as we read this passage is first, God's delivering power is for us to talk about Christ. It's interesting how God's power is at work in this story. The whole point of it, though, is so that they will talk about Christ. Why did God allow healing to go out through Peter walking along and someone shadow or his shadow crossing them. Why did that happen? Why is it that people were coming all over, not just Jerusalem, from all over the area? Why were these miracles happening? Very simply, these miracles were done, you see that every time, associated with teaching about Jesus. When we are praying for God's delivering work, and you're praying for God to work and healing in someone's life, Always associate it with so that you or the person you pray for can talk about Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Have you had God's deliverance in your life? Has his power been at work in your life? Why did that happen? It's been done so that you can talk about Jesus. You remember Matthew 28, 19, 20? You remember those promises? He says, all authority has been given to me. And then he also says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Those two promises, God's power, all authority given through Jesus to you and his presence with you are given in the context so that you will tell others and make disciples of all nations. So just as we take comfort in, you know, God's with you. Why is he with you? He's with you so that you can proclaim Jesus. Why is he at work? So that you can proclaim Jesus. And so you see that happening. Now, with that, these men, these Sadducees, the, pri- the priests are rising up, filled with jealousy. I think about this as I, I read the story of an Indian believer. He was in Nepal. His name was Christian Sundar Singh. He was venturing into an area that's bordering in what was then Tibet. And in the village there, he starts distributing uh, copies of, of Mark, 
One of the listeners ripped the gospel apart and quickly told the town officials. He was then thrown into jail, and while he was in jail, he used the time to witness to the fellow prisoners. The jailer forbade him from evangelizing. And his response sounded just like what we read here. He said, I must obey my master and preach the gospel regardless of threats and suffering. The jailer ordered the prisoners not to listen. But they replied, this man tells us how we can become better, which is what we need. He was then taken from that jail cell and was taken to a filthy cattle shed. And there his, his clothing was ripped off from him. He was tied hand and foot down and then was thrown a swarm of leeches on him that he got from the jungle. As they were draining his blood, this was said. He said, I lifted up my heart to God in prayer. And he said such heavenly peace that I soon began to sing his praises. After he had grown weak, the authorities released him and returned his clothes back to him. He was soon seen again in the center of town, preaching the gospel and telling the people. He said this, It is a joy to suffer with my Savior. And bearing my cross, I hope to direct men to his cross with his offer of peace and pardon. And the cross of Christ alone, I will ever glory. The power of God in working deliverance is so that we can talk about Jesus. He is our greatest hero. But you see another power at work here of God. Have you ever thought about the story and think, okay, you've got this, this power of God that causes sick people to be healed, causes demons to be cast out, You're thrown in jail, and an angel comes and releases you out of the jail, and you're proclaiming again. What is your expectation when they bring you back to the authorities, and you see their response? And then someone says, I know, let's beat them. What what are you thinking? Yeah, right, try it. I've seen the power of God at work. He doesn't even want me to be in jail at night. And then you're, you're tied to the post. Some of the same area perhaps Jesus was in. And you see the guy's coming out with the leather. You're thinking, well, I wonder how God's going to work. Anytime now. And you feel the pain of the first whiplash. Are you disappointed? And you're like, wait a second, God. I, I, I thought that's not how, I'm, this hurts. I mean, you use me to, to heal people and to send demons free. You don't let me spend the night in jail. Why am I getting beat? You see, there's another power at work. God doesn't just give us delivering power. There's enduring power. God's enduring power is given for us also to talk about Christ. You remember the Great Commission I said to you? All authority has been given to me. And then he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why does he say both of those? Because sometimes the power might be to deliver us. 
And sometimes it's his presence to be with us as we endure. But whether we are delivered, or God uses us to deliver others, or whether we endure, the same point is given so that we might talk about Jesus and how he is our hero. So we endure differently. It's been said that one of the reasons Christianity succeeded over the dozens of other religions that was in the Roman Empire was that because Christians died better than anyone else. They died the best. They died with forgiveness, with their executioners. They died with joy. They died singing. Nobody died like they did. Nobody dealt with the torment. Nobody dealt with the death, with the persecutions the way they did. There's this phrase that came down from us through the years by Tertullian. Literally, simply saying, the blood of Christians is seed. The way it's translated, the blood of Christians is seed. When a Christian dies for a Christ and endures, it is nothing more but the seed for which the church grows. The thought is that the more believers are killed, the more the gospel can spread. That was not given to us in the Bible. It was just simply an observation of how the church moved through the years. Why is that the case? Well, you kind of get it from Gamaliel's perspective. Gamaliel, he's, he's the one that steps up and says, well, wait a second, guys. You, these guys were angry. They were enraged. It, it says they were, were jealous. It could very well be the word zealous which wasn't just a jealousy, but they were zealous for the things of God. Paul talked about that himself in Galatians, as well as Philippians. How his zeal was such to the point that he persecuted the church. What does that mean, zeal? His zeal for the traditions of the fathers, the zeal for Judaism. All right? It is kind of like perhaps maybe how some of you thought when we saw pictures, you perhaps saw pictures the last day or two of the Washington National Cathedral when they had a, a Muslim prayer done in the Washington National Cathedral and you see prayers of, of Muslims praying there in this cathedral. Perhaps maybe you felt this, uh, this anger. It, this is kind of where these men are at. There is this anger of what's being done to their traditions. Perhaps maybe you relate with more than you might want to. And here they are, and Gamaliel speaks up and he says, wait a second, guys. And he starts bringing some thoughts to them. He says, you remember Judas? You remember, remember these men? This, this has been done before, guys. There have been others who tried to be Messiah. They have had large followings. This is not the first time, guys, that this has happened. And they were killed, and they quickly went away. I just, if you're seeking Christ, are you seeking truths about God and you're wondering, is this really true? I would just present to you what Gamaliel is saying to his own fellow uh, Sadducees and priests. The Christian movement began in a context where there were others that were trying to do movements of Messiah. But only the Christian movement survived. And in midst of great opposition, why did the Christian movement survive where the others die perhaps it has something to do with what Gamaliel himself said he said you know if this is a man it will go away but if it is of God 
you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. I would present to you that the reason the church exists still is because it is a movement that was birthed from God and is birthed for God. And the question I want to ask Green Pines is, are we a part of that movement? Just because we bear the name church doesn't mean necessarily we're part of the movement of which God is working toward an all-nations hearing and knowing Jesus as the hero of salvation. Why is this the case? You see, Gamaliel's bringing up this question. Why is it that we need God's enduring power for us to talk about Christ? I would simply say that the unbeliever needs to see how much you believe. Gamaliel needed to see how much do they really believe. The people in your workplace who they know that you're of Christ, you talk about Christ, you go to church, one of the questions they have, they are not saying it yet, but they're asking, how much do you really believe? Those who sit with you at the lunchroom in the school, those who ride the bus with you, those who are in the classes with you, they will want to know, if they know know that you go to church, one of the questions they're going to ask is, how much do you really believe? And so they will set up situations to see how quickly do they turn? Do they really believe? Because everyone wants to know and live for something that's worth greater than their reputation. Everyone wants to know that there's something to live for that's greater than their life itself. And one of the ways they know is when someone who knows the name of Christ, who says, Jesus is my hero, I will follow him, and they will see whether or not they will live life and death for Jesus. And they will make a case dependent on whether or not you really believe. And how do you know you really believe? Well, do you endure? So how do these men endure? Well, the Bible says that as they were beaten, after they were beating, they sung, they rejoiced. See verse 41, rejoicing that were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Paul kind of elaborates a little bit on this because that strikes us, help me understand that thinking a little bit. So Paul did that a little bit more in Colossians 1.24. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. He says, the suffering that we do is part of God's mission. Jesus started the salvation, and he did so at the expense of his blood, his life. And he said, if you're going to follow me, don't be surprised if they do the same thing to you. And so if you're going to follow me, this is going to happen. But it's part of my overall mission that all nations are, but are his, that belong to him. So what does that mean? Very practically, if we pray for God's movement to touch Puga, And if God does that, it will happen at the expense of the suffering of some believers. Put that in your head. I I met two that live in Puga. God ordained it so that we met these two that just moved in, just new believers. We'll call Mark and Andrew. 
And so I actually have a couple faces in my mind. And it could very well be that if I'm praying that God would reproduce a movement in Puga where there are discipleship communities that reproduce discipleship communities where Jesus becomes the hero of the no-suit people in that area, it could happen at the expense of Mark and Andrew. So do you still pray that? Well, the question is, how much is Jesus worth to us? That's why we've got to go back to that same question. Is he our hero? Has it hit us in our heart? Now, if we're going to pray that God gives us Nightdale, would we still do it if it came at expense to us? From everything I read in the scripture, I think it will. It will come at expense to us. But you know, these disciples, they had already given up their possessions. When you give your life to Jesus, it's just following through with what you said you would do. But you rejoice in it because Jesus is your hero. There's a story that goes on and you see this as they, verse 42, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And this verse 42, where do they go back? They go back to the temple. They go back to the scene of the crime. And then they go house to house. Michael Brady was a stuntman for Universal Studios. He specialized in aerial skydiving. On the day that he died, he was in Benson, Arizona, preparing for a stunt in which he would parachute onto the top of a moving train. Climbing up the ladder on the side of the train to check some rigging, and he fell, climbing up a ladder, hitting his head and dying instantly. He was a registered organ donor. So his body was taken to Universal Medical Center in, in Tucson, Arizona. His heart was placed inside the body of another man, Bill Wall. He'd been kept alive for the previous 159 days by an artificial heart. These identities were kept secret to recipients. But six months after the day that he got his new heart, Somehow Bill Wall received a letter from Michael Brady's family with a picture of Michael enclosed. Bill was surprised to find that he had the heart of a 36-year-old Hollywood stuntman. He looked at this picture. this good-looking, super-fit, athletic guy. He thought to himself, are you kidding me? This is the heart I got? Before his heart transplant, Bill had been a type A, overweight, money-obsessed businessman pursuing the jet-setting lifestyle. Today, he works part-time, spends most of his newfound energy winning speed and performance medals in swimming, cycling, and track. This guy has a newborn passion for athletics and is matched by his commitment to charitable organizations of which he started for organ donation. 
he was interviewed, and in the interview, he leaned forward and looked at the bronze, silver, and gold medals he's won. He lowers his voice and wonders out loud what has changed him so much. And he says, every day, all day, I thank God for Michael Brady. When I ride, when I work out, the biggest thing is to honor him. And to think that somehow Michael's father could take a stethoscope and come to Bill and say, I just want to listen to my son's heart. Do you have the heart of Jesus? The father has sent his Holy Spirit down. As Peter says, he will give it to those who obey him, who have committed, say, I will follow Jesus. The Spirit of God comes in and gives you a new heart so that Jesus is your hero. And the Father's listening is the heart of Jesus in green pines. It's his heart in you. It is reflected by how we talk about Jesus. Let's pray.